0: Well, good morning. I, uh, I think some of you know this, but um, my wife Ashley was in a cult. So don't worry. We've discussed this with Brad and Jacob, and everything's in the clear. So just want to make sure we're, we're square with that. Um, she grew up in the Worldwide Church of God, which was an organization founded by a guy named Herbert W. Armstrong. So this was back in the 30s. Um, I think he started out as a Seventh-day Adventist and went um, kind of off the rails. He believed that the church, that the Christians, that so-called Christians should obey New Testament dietary laws. Ashley has just now begun to appreciate shrimp, so I praise the Lord for that. Um, But that they should preserve and keep Old Testament holy days. Uh, But most importantly, he undermined the truth about Christ. He didn't believe that Christ was God's eternal son. He believed it was some sort of amalgamation of Christ was God's son after birth. Um, And then after Christ's death, he became a part of God's larger family. Um, It was some interesting things, and he distorted the Trinity and many other doctrines. But miraculously, in the late 80s, Armstrong passed away, and the church made a course correction. The new leaders came to recognize their error and began to believe historic Christian biblical doctrine. Um, That was an amazing work of God. But I know over the course of the 50 years of that church, so many people were impacted, so many people were led astray. Even now, just Ashley's extended family and friends that I've met That has just impacted them to this day. Praise be to God that Ashley's family went with the correct doctrine and today are are thriving believers. Um, But I think we can all think of countless ways that we have seen countless challenges of the truth of Christ being altered. false things being spread about what his death accomplished. And I think that, that is the challenge that faced the early church that John was addressing head on in the text we'll cover today. So we're in 2 John. It's a short letter. Uh, let me just read the whole thing to you right here. <clears throat> the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of you, your children, walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. instead I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So just to review Brad preached on the first half verses one through six, second John last week and this morning we'll finish up covering verses 7 through 13. And 2 John, as we heard, was a letter letter written at the end of the first century by John, by the Apostle John. And its recipient is, we saw, the elect lady, which we uh, know, as Brad told us, is most likely a church that that John served, cared for, and loved. And last week, Brad talked about love and obedience in the Christian life. And this week, we'll see that John continues with a brief discourse on why we must walk in truth and love, why the challenges we, def- we face demand truth and love because we are faced with deception. So this morning, I'll break the message into two parts, the challenge and the response. So here's the challenge, the denial of Christ in an age of deception. Does this thing sound okay out there? I kind of get some feedback, all right. John says in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. We see that John has buried the lead here. In verses 1 through 6, he tells us that we should walk in truth and love, obedience. And why? We see in verse 7, Because we are faced with an onslaught of teachers denying the nature of Christ, and that was being driven by the spirit of the Antichrist. In this case, John was particularly concerned with false teachers who had broken off from the church and were challenging one of the central tenets of Christianity, that Jesus was fully man. The second half of verse 7 says that they did not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And this is kind of the opposite of what we hear today, right? Most of the time when we hear people who do not believe in the fullness of Christ, it's that Christ was simply a man. He wasn't divine at all. But the false teaching that we see here in John's time was, become a, was because of a movement called Gnosticism uh, that was during the first century. And the Gnostics believed in kind of these two parts. The world was in two parts, a duality of matter and spirit. Matter was bad. Spirit was good. They couldn't mix. And so they didn't think that it was possible for Christ to be both. So they had some sort of belief that he was a spirit that only appeared to be man. But John had grave concerns about this false teaching. And much of his writing was aimed at addressing this heresy. In 1 John 4, 2, and 3, we see, By this know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. So we have a group here that's denying that Christ is, was fully man, born of a virgin, incarnated, as well as fully God. So there's a quote from Danny Aiken, He says, the heart of all false teaching is a defective view of Jesus. If we can't get that right, then we're, we're pretty bad off, right? If we have an incorrect view of Jesus early on. But here is the truth about Christ that John was teaching to the early church. Here is what he was trying to spread. In John, the gospel according to John, in verse 1, chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Christ was both fully man and fully God, and to deny any part of that is to deny Christianity itself. He had to be fully man in order to live a sinless life and be the perfect sacrifice for us. Romans 5.18 says, So one act of righteousness, that is Christ living his sinless life and being sacrificed on the cross, leads to the justification and life for all men. And Christ also had to be fully God to take on that full weight of all that sin of all those who believe in him. Colossians 119 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So this is truth. Just to make it clear and leave no doubt what we believe here. Jesus was truth, Jesus is truth. He is fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life and died on the cross as our substitute. We are accountable to God and should be punished for our sins, but he was punished instead. And that is truth, that is what the Bible tells us, and that's what Christians have always historically believed. So if you're not familiar with that, if this sounds crazy to you, if you don't understand or if you have questions, we would love to talk to you. Come find me, Jacob, Brad, anyone else you've seen up here, and we'd love to talk with you more about that. I think it's also important here to point out um as i kind of foreshadowed that the early church had a clear understanding of the divinity and humanity of christ and the apostles were teaching that truth it's another deception propagated by the deceiver that the true nature of christ was something settled settled upon hundreds of years later Um, that's something out of the da vinci code that's not that's not truth we can see here that John and the early church clearly understood the nature of Christ and they were fighting for that truth. But we shouldn't be surprised when that's challenged and challenges to the nature of Christ arise. He, Christ himself foretold this in Mark 13, he says, for false Christs, false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand we should expect to be continually challenged and questioned, because as John has just says, we live in an age where deceivers have gone out into the world and such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So we see here that with the Gnostics and others propagating false beliefs, false doctrine, this was not a case of just poor interpretation, a misunderstanding, This is an orchestrated assault on the truth that is carried out by deceivers in the spirit of the Antichrist. And John had given us this warning before in 1 John 2, 18. He said, children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. So we can think of this as being in a state of already but not yet. The Antichrist is not here. That is the man of lawlessness described in 2 Thessalonians, who will rise up near the end and attack the church. So he is not yet here. But already there are those, the deceivers, who are already working here in his spirit, in the spirit of the Antichrist, to undermine and redefine truth and to lead us astray. In this text, the deceivers are attacking the truth that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, And today we've seen the truth of Jesus distorted over and over again. We all do. We hear that he was just a good moral teacher, but not God. He didn't actually die on the cross. We can't trust what the Bible says about him. The Bible isn't true, uh, that his death really isn't sufficient to cover our sins. And not only that, but I would say in our day, we just don't face these direct assaults on the truth of Christ, but we deal with something even more insidious and erosive Today, our culture questions if truth itself can even be known. You may hear the terms postmodernism or relativism, but in general, these terms describe the ideas that morality is relative, what's right for me may not be right for you, and also that truth is unknowable. The gospel isn't truth. We need to decide what our own truth is. Each one of us gets to decide that. And these philosophies have permeated every part of our culture, academia, literature, entertainment. I mean, we hear it all the time. We say it ourselves, probably. Phrases like, just do what makes you happy. You know, that's not for me, but who am I to judge? And these are indicative of the attitudes that most of the world has, and many professing Christians have as well. So we're immersed and surrounded, and most of the time, we don't even realize it. Here's a little example. Um, hopefully will resonate with those with young kids. Um, When Grayson was about three, he was watching a show called Chuck the Truck. So if you're familiar with Chuck, he's a little dump truck, you know, has a little dump truck family. Um, And one day Chuck went out, he fell in with the the bad apples, the bad kids. And at the end of the show, when they're going to teach the life lesson that the kid needs to pick up, Um, The mom says to Chuck, Chuck, next time you just need to listen to your heart. And I remember jumping up and turning that off and saying, no, Grayson, you listen to me because I listen to God. Um, Can you imagine a mom 200 years ago telling her son, you just need to be happy, just follow your heart? No, they'd say, get out to the fields and work. Um, So that's just to illustrate that every day, these little things, our kids are seeing it, we're seeing it. We're pounded by these little messages that whisper to us, just do what makes you feel good. How can it be wrong if it feels so right? Things are different now. It's not the way it used to be. We just need to find our true self. Um, So we're like a seawall. We're just pounded every day. And if we have a crack or if our foundation doesn't go deep enough, the water, that deception in this world will enter in and erode our confidence in Christ and break us apart. So we have to be able to put today's current events, our culture, the rapidly shifting morality in a biblical context. Otherwise, we're gonna begin to think that things like avocado toast and CrossFit and our body image have a bigger impact on our lives than the gospel. And that's true, I see it in my own life, being pounded about it, if I'm not grounding myself in the word, that the way I see the world begins to be altered. It begins to distort what we think is is important and undermine our reliance on the gospel. So how are we to respond? Well, we saw one of the primary ways we should respond last week in Brad's message, we should walk in love and obedience Because, as we saw in verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. So we need to do everything Brad talked about last week. Love one another. Obey God's commands. Because there's deception in the world, the spirit of the Antichrist is working. So we could stop there. But I think John has some other instructions for us that I would summarize as watch and assemble. So that's our our response. We need to watch and assemble. Verse 8 says... Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward." So in addition to loving one another, we have to be on guard. He has already told us that we live in an age of deception, deceivers are actively working to distort the truth. And what happens if we don't watch and guard ourselves? He says we're in danger of losing what we worked for and not winning a full reward. So what does John say here? What does he mean here? I think to rephrase that positively, he says, if you want to win a full reward, then you need to keep working. Commentators generally think this verse refers to gaining heavenly rewards for the fruits of our faithful labor, such as we see in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. So whether we're at home or away, make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. So we are here to work to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. But the main idea I want to convey here is that John is assuming his readers are working, that they are watching and they are guarding themselves by working. This is not a passive defense. This is going on the offensive to protect ourselves. So the Christian life takes work. And so listen to me, I'm not saying uh, we have to work to earn our salvation by any means. There's nothing that I can do to cover, to take away, to pay for the sins that I have committed. It's only Christ's sacrifice that can accomplish that. But we have to work to pursue truth. And maybe I'm wrong, but I think work is a bit of a bad word today. We're more concerned with pursuing our passions, pursuing what makes us happy, Um, being entertained personal fulfillment but we have to labor in our faith so yes we do have to work but it should be spirit enabled god glorifying fruit producing work spirit enabled god glorifying fruit producing work we pray that the lord will help us in the spirit to be faithful in his word to pray to gather and meet with other believers And we do this for his glory. This work is for his glory, not our own personal fulfillment. And after some time, when we look back, we should be able to see how the Lord has changed us and how he has been producing fruit in our lives. If we're not working towards truth in this way and continually filling our eyes, minds, and souls with the word, then what will we do when our worldview or beliefs are challenged? When we see stories on the news of people changing their gender will we have confidence to respond when our neighbors ask us what we think about that when a christian blogger we read all the time begins to deviate from the truth from the truth will we be able to discern that deviation and when struggles come because they will come what will we do when we have doubts depression anxiety when our children have disabilities, when we lose loved ones, what will our response be if we haven't been continually pressing into the word, praying, and gathering with believers? Through that spirit-enabled work, we will gain a sort of muscle memory so that when trials arise, we will know how to respond. We will be able to trust that he will never leave us or forsake us we will have confidence that that there is no condemnation for those in Christ, that these present sufferings at this time can't compare with the future glory that will be revealed to us. So now, in verse 9, we get to the crux of the matter, what's ultimately at stake here. It says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son." So there we have it. We have to abide, meaning rest or dwell in the teaching of Christ. If we don't, then we don't have God. If we do abide in his teaching, then we have both the Father and the Son. So it's clear, crystal clear that if we deny Christ and his teaching, we have no access to God or salvation. And this doesn't mean that if you're a believer and you have a period of unbelief, um, that you'll lose your salvation. That's, we, we all struggle with unbelief and doubt. No, it means that if you go on ahead, like it says in verse 9, and follow some other teaching that denies the truth of Jesus, and you're actively propagating that, then we would argue you probably never had a saving knowledge of Jesus in the first place. If you choose not to abide in Christ, to believe in truth, and you do not have God. And this is not a question of heavenly rewards. This is a question of salvation itself. As Jacob prayed for us earlier, Christianity has no place for inclusivity. As we read earlier in John, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to him except through Christ. The gospel is not inclusive. Everyone is welcome. Reiterate that everyone is welcome and the Lord desires all to be saved, but not on our terms We don't get to walk into that courtroom and tell the judge what our conditions are We cannot add or subtract from the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for us and then expect to be saved So finally We must assemble in response to the age of deception. John says in verses 10 through 12, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, or give him any greeting. For whoever, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to so face that our joy may be complete. <clears throat> So John says here, do not accept in the false teachers. We probably can't underestimate how jarring this would have been to his audience. As we all know, during that time, um, there was a culture of hospitality. Hospitality was crucial for, for survival in a lot of ways. And to refuse someone could bring shame on you and your family. But John isn't saying here that we shouldn't associate with unbelievers but rather we shouldn't let a false teacher, someone who is actively working to undermine our faith into the inner circle where they might have influence over the flock and lead believers astray. Of course we should be welcoming to those who are seeking, to the lost, to the misguided. We should bring those people into our homes, invite them to church, but we cannot accept those who are actively leading people astray. That is one way that we can watch and guard. So to identify those teachers, we personally have to be immersed in truth to know when a teacher is subtracting or adding to who Christ is. And I think there's a practical implication here that we have to be a part of a local church that guards against false teaching by having a clear understanding of the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. That is why we have a statement of faith here that clearly articulates what we believe, That's why we recite creeds, like we did this morning, of faith that Christians have spoken together for almost 2,000 years. And this is to confirm and proclaim our love of this truth that you're hearing here today. So we can only guard against deceivers if we come together and clearly stake out what we believe. This is one reason we put so much emphasis here on Loudon Valley on church membership. Because we know all those who have covenant together, who have joined this body, have in common a, doctor, a common doctrinal understanding and will strive together to preserve that truth. That is why we have classes on membership, and interview process, new members agree to the covenant and the statement of faith. And this all sounds very onerous, um, but we believe that the local church should be, should be a body that is committed to truth willing to confront false teachers head on and help our brothers and sisters in love when they get off course. So if you're not a member of a local church, we would encourage you to join one and try to identify a church that has elders or leaders shepherding it and members willing to help hold each other accountable. We strive for that, I'm sure, imperfectly, but we but we strive. That's our goal. If the church is not willing to tackle error, then we get a situation that John is discussing here. Brothers who were a part of the church and were thought to be faithful believers broke off. They went off track. He said they went on ahead and began deceiving and dividing the body. And a seemingly small deviation in doctrine early on can spiral out of control if not addressed. For example, if you're flying a plane, stay with me here, I think this will be good. If you're flying a plane, one degree air in your heading at departure will put you off course one mile for every 60 you travel. So if you're aiming to go to Dallas, if you're going from Dulles to Dallas, Washington Dulles to Dallas, a one degree air departure will get you probably into Plano. That's not that big, big of a difference. If you haven't been there, it's pretty much the same thing. You're not, not missing much. However, if you're intending to go to Seoul, South Korea, much further away, and you have that slightest air, just one degree at takeoff, that could put you in Pyongyang, North Korea. So it's a little bit of a difference and not something, um, not an error I'd wanna make. And so that's just to illustrate that the longer that error and false teaching are allowed to be carried on, allowed to propagate, allowed to fester, the bigger impact that they will have. So let's avoid going off course and help each other stay focused on the truth. We have to reason with one another on doctrine, on the difficult issues of our day and discuss them in love with an understanding that we are covenanted together here under the Lordship of Christ and under the authority of scripture. And verse 12 speaks to this as well. John says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. By meeting together, we make our joy complete. We can't be isolated. We already talked about the importance of church membership, but we come together not just to participate in what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, that is important, but we also come together to share in our victories, our burdens, to encourage one another, to lovingly correct one another. The people that you see sitting around you right now, the members of this church, are those who God has given us to advance his kingdom. So love them. Take the time to have each other in your homes, care for each other. And I think John's brought us full circle here. If we're going to guard against those who seek to undermine the truth of who Jesus is and what he did, then we have to pursue both truth and love. We cannot survive as believers or a church without both. As one commentator says, If you have truth without love or love without truth, then you do not have the church. So let us go out from here today in love for one another, committed to the glorious truth of who Christ is and what he did for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this body of believers you have gathered, for your word that clearly points us to Christ and to his sacrifice and that we are all sinners in need of that sacrifice to cover us. Help us to be a body that is committed to both truth and love and bold and going out and proclaiming that to the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.